Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 35. On this episode, I have Tanner Emke of CoBank. Uh, Tanner is the manager of CoBank's knowledge exchange that provides market industry research on sectors affecting the rural economy, including grains, oil seeds, biofuels, farm supply, animal protein, dairy specialties, crops, power, energy, and water. Prior to joining CoBank in 2015, Tanner marketed seed for his family seed company in western Kansas where his family has farmed since 1885. A commodity marketing reporter for Dow Jones at the Chicago Board of Trade and an agricultural journalist covering crop crop production and farm business management, he continues to maintain an active role in farming today. Tanner holds a bachelor's in agriculture economics and a master's in agricultural business from both Kansas State University. Tanner, welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. Good to be here. So I've, I kind of gave a little brief snippet here of, of what your background is, but give me a little more background on yourself and, and CoBank. Well, um, CoBank is um, part of the farm credit system, and so what that means is uh, for what we're uh, authorized to do is we are the main lender for co-ops, uh, to, for farmer-owned co-ops, and we're also the uh, – the wholesale lender for the farm credit system. And that's about 22 uh, associations throughout the country we lend to. And uh, so what we do here, uh, or what I do, is uh, we I manage our uh, knowledge exchange division and we do market and industry research. And you kind of, we did the rundown of our uh, main focus. But uh, my background has been grains. Um, I uh, grew up on a wheat farm out in western Kansas. And uh, majored in ag econ at kansas state university and so i mean this has kind of been my focus for almost my entire life i guess <laughs> been riding combines since i was a little kid and then uh, studying wheat markets and grain markets ever since so uh yeah that's that's been my main focus um and that's what we do today we we try to find uh uh, relevant issues uh, industry changes or uh, things that are going to be relevant to our customers and um you know, what that means for opportunities and risks uh, financially. And it can get pretty wide-ranging out there with all the uh, diversity in agriculture. But, um, you know, I, you know, we can talk about this later in the podcast, but we're definitely seeing some stress out there in agriculture, but that's not across the uh, industry by any means. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one of the things we've been looking so at. Tanner has been a speaker at both the 2016 and 2017 uh, remarketing managers meeting and he brought a lot of great information and he's one of those guys that when we leave he's one of the one of the speakers that that guys actually talk about a lot and in, in the information he brought in so i wanted to get him on the podcast to kind of share some of that information and look back at at what 2017 is uh was you know and what we got left in the year and then and then how what happened in 17 is going to start shaping what happens in 2018. So, Tanner, when you look across at, at some of the economic struggles that a lot of these farmers have had in over 2017, how is that going to affect their overall cash flow moving forward? Like, for example, we've, we've had about three years now of pretty stagnant growth at best, you know, and right. um, it's not been up or down, but it's just kind of stayed the same. Um we start looking at some of the struggles these guys are having. How is that going to affect what they do in 2018? Well, I'd say, uh, first of all, uh, one of the slides that I uh, commonly use, and I think you've seen this slide in my presentation, Casey, is the uh, debt-to-income chart. And uh, so, I mean, that's the 
the leading indicator that I usually look at of where we're going to be in 2018 and uh, what the debt to income chart uh, measures or what that ratio measures is uh, very simply how much debt do you have compared to income and right now uh, based on USDA's latest projections we are at a debt to income ratio of about a little over six percent of six to one uh, ratio so uh, the pile of debt is six times larger than the income and uh, that's Historically, that's not a good place to be. When you look at uh, where we were in the late 1970s, uh, we were bumping around four to five per, uh, percent uh, on that ratio, and then we headed into the farm crisis of the 1980s. So it's a leading indicator of where we're going to be heading. Right now, we're already at 6.1, and I would say that is a red flag. Anything around four uh, or five percent uh, on the debt to income ratio that's a red flag and now we're at 6.1 percent so going into 2018 uh this puts us in a uh puts a lot of farmers in a precarious position obviously i mean there's i don't think it's any secret out there a lot of agriculture is suffering financially um it's a little bit different than the 1980s though um it for a number of reasons uh, this has been a more orderly correction than we had back in the 1980s. That was a pretty sudden move. Uh, grain prices just collapsed overnight. Um, interest rates skyrocketed overnight, and they were already really high. And then they uh, went over 20%. And we just don't have that happening right now. So farmers are picking up more debt because they are uh, being stressed financially. But that stress from rising interest rates just isn't there. So are we going to continue to see more debt in 2018, or excuse me, see more um, stress in rising debt in 2018? That, that seems like where we're going. Because right now, when you look at the grain markets, there's just really no indication that we're going to see any major recoveries. Uh, so I think uh, we're probably going to see a little bit more of the same, uh, more deterioration of balance sheets. Uh, land values are probably going to probably creep lower. And we're going to see, unfortunately, more farmers are going to be at that decision where they have to decide if they're going to uh, keep farming. Um, again, this isn't like the 1980s where we had a mass exodus uh, for the door. But uh, unfortunately, that stress is there and it's not going away. And if you look back here, when you pull the data for 2017 on uh, Chapter 12 bankruptcies, that's the family farm restructuring we are seeing a uh, for the first three quarters of the year, uh, there has been a noticeable increase uh, over prior years, unfortunately. And so if you compare where we were back in 2013, um, for the uh, first three quarters of each year, or first three quarters of 2013, there was about 300 uh, filings. This year, we're at 400. So the trend is clearly there. Uh, the stress is on farmers, and they're trying to find a way to adapt. And, you know, I, I think uh, farmers this time around have been a lot more disciplined than what we saw back in the 1980s. Um, they, first of all, they've had more time to adjust, um, kind of like we, I just talked about a little bit earlier. So that's given farmers a little bit more time to uh, reevaluate their situation and make some necessary adjustments on, adjustments on their spending. And I think that right there is the key. They're really cutting back on um, machinery. Uh, it's the main one. 
and uh, they, they've been a little bit more reluctant to cut back on inputs, uh, just on you know things like seed, chemical, and fertilizer, because they know that uh, the fastest way to reduce your reduce your break-even cost of production is to increase yield. So they they are reluctant to cut back on inputs. Um, I'd say the stickler here is cash rents. Uh, cash rents have been really slow to decline, and that's when that's what's been uh, pinching <clears throat> farmers quite a bit, especially in the Corn Belt. So it's it's a different type of correction from what we saw in the 1980s, but all the signs are pointing that right now 19, or 2018 is going to be another year of uh, belt tightening for farmers. Right. So the question I have then. So you start. Well, you were talking about interest rates here in, in the 1980s. Were were a, a, probably one of the most interesting times that I can look back on and talk about because it was the closest major crisis in farming that I can relate back to. Um, right. But now, when you look at like the current interest rates now, so money has been cheap for a long time. We've had really? starting to feel a little bit of the of the adverse effects of that, and the, you know the Fed is is raising interest rates every quarter. Well, not every quarter, but about two to three times a year, it seems like, is what their schedule right. is. And realistically, um, uh, Fed re- uh, Fed President Yellen has said nothing about slowing that down anytime soon. So how is that going to play into uh, or what the farmer is going to to feel the effects of? I mean, every quarter point is you know that much more of a load on them and that right. much more that goes away from their margins and everything else. So. You know, we're coming in a time of year where um, operating notes are going to be issued and, and applied for and all that stuff, and, and they're looking into, like, basically the, the end of January, first part of February, when those things start getting um, processed and, and pushed out. So what is your feel for what the current interest rate is and how that is going to affect the future as there's a quarter point raise every every three mm-hmm. to four months? Well, uh all the indications are we're going to we're going to continue on this path of about three or four uh, increases in the, uh, the the Fed funds rate, um, and right now Jay Powell, who's the nominee to replace uh, Yellen, he has indicated he'd be on that same path, and of course this is all contingent on uh, the health of the U.S. economy. Now if we if for whatever reason we move into a recession, then probably what we'll see then is the Fed pull back on this plan. But right now, uh, the U.S. economy is uh, strong. Uh, it's continually uh, expanding. Uh, there's no sign right now that there would be uh, a correction looming. And so what we can expect then is if we see a qu- four increases of a quarter point or 25 basis points, that puts you at a full percentage, po- percentage increase over one year period. This is in addition to whatever increase you're going to see at your local bank because of uh, deteriorating credit quality. So for instance, um, your balance sheet is uh, mostly farmland and the value of farmland has dropped uh, significantly in your local area. Well, by default, your debt-to-asset ratio is going to jump. Through no fault of your own now, your, uh, credit, your credit rating has dropped because uh, your uh, debt-to-asset ratio is higher. You're now a risk, riskier bet uh, for the bank. And so you're going to see an increase in your uh, 
interest rate at your local bank just because of that uh, credit quality issue. Now add in higher interest rates from the Fed and uh, that uh, cascading out through the economy, and you're going to see uh, higher rates still. If you're a farmer who's been taking on new debt uh, just to uh, stay afloat, I mean, let alone trying to uh, buy land or anything like that, but just uh, on your operating note, it's going to become a little bit more difficult uh, to fund your operations. So this is something uh, that you know, we're going to have to contend with at the farm level. Um, you know, rural communities are going to suffer as a result. And uh, in terms of what farmers are going to be able to afford on inputs or machinery or what machi- machinery, excuse me, or what have you. So it is going to be uh, increased stress on borrower- borrowers who are already stressed. Uh, again, this is all contingent on the health of the U.S. economy. And right now the uh, forecast is that the economy is going to continue growing through de- 2018. Machinery is, is one of those things that I am pay pick up. Uh, Pay particular attention to simply because right. that's how I make my living but um, <laughs> which is a pretty important part of that but so when I when I look at right now when I start looking at the user quote marketplace auction values seem to be stabilizing um, there's soft bottom out there I've said that a few times and and, and what I mean by that there's you know a, a one or two major hiccups in the marketplace could in my opinion could could cause a, a cascade in values again i don't know that we were that all the way that overwhelmingly healed up to the fact that things are, are are going like they should and and we have all of our inventories are in line all that being said though the late model low hour stuff that's out there seems to be moving quickly we got guys that are looking for all that stuff now my position on that is it's not pent up demand that guys. Oh, finally we've got we got some extra cash. We're going to go out and buy a new combine or or a new to me combine or a tractor or whatever it is. I think a lot of that is having to do with the fact that they are faced with making a, for example, forty thousand dollar payment on top of a twenty thousand dollar shop bill, and they have sixty thousand dollars of 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 cash that they're that's going to affect their balance sheet somehow, their cash flow. Right. And yeah, they're thinking. Some of the some bank logic may be well. If you get a fifty thousand dollar payment, you're better off because you have a you you've conserved ten thousand dollars worth of cash. Have you had anybody bring that up to you in that in that in that facet, or have you seen something similar like that happening out there? Are there any indicators showing that maybe that's why there is this this peak in in used equipment value or not used equipment values, but used equipment uh, sales here in the last. No. Six, seven months? Yeah, I think, well, anecdotally, I can support that. Uh, I don't have any data uh, beyond what you've seen out there, Casey. But, um, yeah, if you bought a mach- uh, if you replace your, new, your machinery line back in 2012 or 2013 when markets were great and you made a lot of money, then all of a sudden uh, we moved into the correction and commodity prices started falling, uh, your income started dropping, your decision then would be, well, I'm not going to replace my machinery line this year. I'm just going to uh, maintain it. You know, we're just going to do a good job of uh, taking care of it, and uh, we're just going to hold on to it for a year or two and see what happens. And then the markets continue to drop, and you know, finances continue to, to uh, tighten, or balance sheets continue to tighten. And so what farmers did then was hold on to this machinery as long as they could. Now they're holding on to machinery that's maybe 
three or four or five years old, and now they're running, you know, the, the warranty, they, there's no warranty on it anymore. Uh, they've got, they're starting to run into mechanical problems or perhaps uh, issues that they cannot solve in their shop, like software issues or, you know, things like that with some of these higher tech uh, uh, toys that come with the machines. Uh, they can't solve that in the shop. Well, so now you got to haul that machine into the dealership where they're going to charge you hundred dollars an hour or whatever to uh, to service that machine. Well, now you've got to start weighing these costs. How much of this can you do it yourself on the farm, and how much of this do you have to depend on the dealer for? And for a lot of these older machines, these you know these farmers out there that are uh, that have got an older line, they're confronting this issue and saying, well, I just need to replace it. Uh, I just need to uh, switch this out and get something that's uh, at least a little bit newer, uh, maybe a year or two. I don't necessarily have to get a brand new one, but I need to get something that's uh, a little more up-to-date so I can uh, at least reduce the cost here of having to uh, haul this into the dealership all the time. So that is just anecdotally, I know that uh, thinking is out there. Farmers are trying to find ways to maintain their uh, equipment line just through what they can do on the farm, uh, you know, with their own two hands or with their, uh, the mechanic in town. But anymore, I mean, you know how it is with uh, machinery today. It's quite a, bit, quite a bit more high tech than what we grew up with as kids. And so that's, uh, that's limited on what they're able to do to maintain that machinery. So, yeah, I... I totally agree that thinking is definitely out there about farmers running into this issue of, well, if I can't fix it myself, I'm going to have to switch it on and get something new uh, or something just low hour. It's got lower, lower, lower hours on it, and I can uh, at least get by with that. So that's definitely a trend. And uh, knowing what we know about where we are in the ag economy and the commodity markets and what we think for 2018, that there's no indication that that is going to be uh, – uh, and there's going to be any serious change in thinking on that. Farmers are still going to be very frugal on machinery if they can be. We have enough guys now that it seems that are looking for that late model, low hour stuff out there. Um, that's driving them driving the market quite well. I mean, I can right. think you could probably talk to any equipment dealer of any color anywhere in the United States or, or Canada for that matter, and absolutely have pretty much the same same response um, this year coming into the end of the year it's been a little bit slower than than normal than we've seen in, in the past years simply because of of the way harvest went you know i mean i think there was this yep. harvest kind of lingered forever and ever and ever and and guys now are finally getting their crop out and they know where they're at and they've talked to their accountants and so on and so forth and they know what they know where they're at in the position wise so um but to your point if it does feel like the overall life cycle of machinery has absolutely been extended out longer than um, I've seen in the past years, um, even in the past two years, um, where guys are putting more hours on machinery per year than, than I can remember even four or five years ago. And guys have bought in, you know, another another combine or another tractor or something like that to complement what they already have, and they're still putting more hours on there, which tells me that less guys farming maybe the, the cash the cash rent ground that they had and they're picking that up you know and mm -hmm. farming that stuff so there's a lot of yeah, stuff yeah there's definitely some expansion going on yeah. out there and uh, you know we've we see we're seeing more people leaving farming unfortunately uh, 
and as that land comes up uh, for sale or for rent, uh, you're going to expand your machinery line in order to, uh, to to farm it. Are you going to go get a new machine, or are you going to hold you? Or are you going to be a little bit more conservative there? Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, you know, try to get a late model used machinery. You know, I I used to I was farming uh, prior to coming to Cobank and putting myself back in those shoes again. I'd be I'd be looking for used machinery. Yep. Well, that was a a good point that. Uh, guest I had a couple podcasts ago, Trent Hummel, and he made a point of you know if a guy picks up 500 acres now with the with the size of the machinery and the efficiency of the machinery, well even if it's a five year old piece of equipment, it's you're adding two days worth of work to uh, to what you already do, and you're not really out there stretching yourself to the max by picking up another 500 acres. So yeah, things are getting dynamic, things are things are changing, and, and everyone just has to change their their thought process. So. Um, so what are you seeing now? Let's, let's talk about, you know, like we said earlier, grain markets and, and, and what, what all that looks like and, and with harvest the way it is and what have you. So the genetics that we're starting to put out there now are really, really starting to, to come to the top. You know, we, we produce, uh, had one of the record corn crops we've had. The yeah. growing conditions weren't great for, for anyone. I mean, there wasn't like a, a just the absolute best growing conditions in the corn belt. It's either too wet or too dry, depending on where you're at, and but yet we cranked out a pretty good corn crop. You know that's not going to help prices, obviously. We produced less wheat this year in the United States than we did last year, but the price of wheat keeps going down. Um, there is some stabilization every so often, but whatever they gain, they seem to give up uh, the next day. So, well, countries like Brazil and Argentina and Ukraine that have really kind of established themselves as of a of a fairly reliable source of of grain. How's that play into the overall long-term supply and demand curve, and and what's that look like for the U.S. farmer? Well, it's uh, made things a little bit more complicated than what we're used to. Uh, We're used to looking at uh, American balance sheets for corn, wheat, and soybeans, and that would give you a pretty clear direction on where prices were going to go. And uh, that is no longer the case uh, now that we've got um, more competition coming out of South America. You've got uh, Argentina and Brazil have... They've they've uh, remark they've increased their acreage of corn and soybeans, especially in Brazil, uh, remarkably over the past decade, and they continue to do so. And you know they've got more room to expand uh, into the Cerrado area, uh, in especially in Mato Grosso. So they've got room to grow. And when they expand soybean acreage, uh, typically what they're going to do is. Rotate, rotate that with corn, uh, a safrina crop, which is their short season uh, corn crop that they plant uh, immediately into the soybean stubble right after harvest. And uh, you know, it's not a big yielding crop. It usually does about 90 to 100 bushels an acre. But that being said, uh, the long-term expansion uh, trend is there. And as we see rising uh, global feed demand and uh, biofuel demand, They've got room uh, to pick up uh, international trade business, and that's going to come out of uh, that's international trade business that we could have had, but they are now picking up. So the price influence now is becoming more and more international uh, and less focused on what happens here in the United States. At the same time, uh, we're seeing the same trend happen over in the FSU, uh, former Soviet Union, uh, mainly uh, Russia, Ukraine, and uh, Kazakhstan. They're continually uh, bringing uh, land back into production that 
had fallen out of production back when the Soviet Union fell. Uh, what in '89? Now it's been a little more than it's more. <laughs> it's been a little while yet, but they're still uh, bringing uh, land back into production and making it uh, more productive as well with better management. Uh, they've got better seed genetics, uh, better technology all the way around, better management uh, in addition to that. And so they're more well-capitalized, and so they can plant and harvest those crops in a timely uh, fashion. And so you look at those yields, and they just continually go up, in addition to uh, the amount of acreage that's coming into production. And so now we're having to deal with that as well. And the long-term trend is that uh, these new export hubs in South America and the FSU are going to continue to become more and more competitive. They've got a couple of other uh, uh, economic factors that are uh, uh, their tailwinds for them. They have cheaper cost of production, uh, meaning their labor is cheaper, their land isn't cheaper, uh, their fertilizer and seed is cheaper, and so this gives them a cost advantage. They also have a cheaper currency. Uh, so if you're an international buyer, uh, it's cheaper to buy wheat out of Russia uh, and convert it into uh, rubles than it is to buy uh, we'd added the United States where the dollar is more expensive. And so this is uh, giving uh, these parts of the world uh, uh, an export advantage to the United States, and that trend currently uh, remains in place. Uh, the currency situation is such that Brazil and Argentina and uh, Russia all have an advantage on us. And cost production-wise, they also have an, uh, an advantage on us as well. So it doesn't appear these headwinds are going to be going away anytime soon for us. And on top of all this, they've had just perfect weather over the past couple of years over in Russia. And so they've got record yields um, in addition to uh, better management and more acres. So this is a new development for us that uh, is going to stay in place uh, for, the, for the foreseeable future. And uh, we just have to turn our focus uh, internationally here to these other area, uh, other areas of uh, export for uh, price direction, especially out of the FSU. That is definitely the case for wheat. And we can see the consequence of that here in the United States, unfortunately, declining wheat acres. Uh, the Russians just have us on wheat. Uh, it's a lower cost to produce over there. Uh, they're located in a very favorable uh, location. Uh, they're right in the back door of some major importing countries, especially that North African area in the Middle East. And so we're not competitive there anymore. And as a result, our wheat acreage is shrinking. So, yeah, we've got some uh, headwinds uh, that are probably going to stay with us uh, for a while in terms of export competition. But um, not to be too, uh, too negative on the future, we do have some bright spots, Casey, and that is the continual increase in, uh, in global consumption that continues to go up every single year. And so it's just a matter of time where consumption catches up with supply and we'll be seeing some more uh, uh, response in prices, I think. But in the near, near term, though, with our supply situation globally, it's, we've got a lot of commodity out there, um, and it's just going to take some more sustained growth and consumption to catch up. So with the supply the way it is, prices the way they are, how how long do you think it'll be, and this kind of leads into my what happens in the next five years for farmers and ranchers question, but as far as crop diversity goes, do you start seeing maybe some, some things pop up in 
uh, weak country that weren't there traditionally, and they're going to try to make a run at it because it's going to, you know, give or different access oh, yeah. to revenue. Absolutely. Well, in my home state of Kansas, that's absolutely what's going on. Uh, wheat acres have been declining, and they've been replaced with soybeans, uh, or rather row crops, not just soybeans, but corn, uh, sorghum. Uh, people are looking at other types of uh, uh, winter crops. I know in my area of southwest Kansas, a lot of ranchers are moving to triticale instead of using wheat uh, for their fall grazing programs, and then they instead of harvesting the wheat in the uh, in the summer, uh, what they'll do is they'll graze that triticale out, uh, and so they won't harvest a grain crop. So we're seeing those kind of things uh, transpire right now. That shift of acres is really on the fringe, um, near fringe areas outside of the Corn Belt, uh, and you know up in the Northern Plains, we're seeing that same thing happen right now. Uh, farmers have been moving out of wheat and moving in more into corn, soybeans, and milo, and. I, you know, if you looked at the USDA's uh, baseline projections uh, for the next 10 years, they're projecting for a further drop in uh, wheat acres uh, if for the 2017-18 crop year, and soybeans are going to finally eclipse wheat, or excuse me, corn. Uh, I think for the second time in history. So not, it's not common that we'll have more soybean acres than corn, but they're forecasting not only 2018 to be the year where uh, soybeans uh, exceed corn in acreage, but they're expecting that uh, to see a sustained growth. And most of this is due to uh, steady economic growth over in China. Uh, More and more people continue to uh, move into the middle class every year. And in the next 10 years, we're going to see a tidal shift of people moving out of poverty and into the middle class, especially in Southeast Asia. And so with this momentum, they're going to be, uh, or excuse me, with this economic momentum, uh, as more, more, more and more people move into the middle class, uh, they consume more and more protein, uh, especially animal protein, and that's going to be more and more demand on feed grains, especially soybeans because their main protein over there that they're going to be consuming is going to be poultry and hogs, not so much beef. And so uh, soybean meal uh, figures very prominently in those feed rations. So the long-term view here is that we're going to, cons- we're going to see a major uh, increase in feed demand uh, globally over the next 10 years. Now, I know that's not that's not going to be that's not helpful news to the guy right now sitting across the desk from his banker uh trying to uh you know trying to stay in business for another year but for those farmers that are hanging on right now and they're doing okay uh or you know they've got an off farm job or they've got some sort of off farm income perhaps their wife or spouse uh has uh, a job in town and they're able to survive on that income those families are going to be fine it's tight for them, no kitten. There's no doubt about that, but they're going to survive through the current correction right now and make it into this new phase where we'll see a recovering commodity prices. But unfortunately for those people right now that, uh, that are financially stressed and it's, you know, they're, not, they're at the question right now of whether they stay in business or not, um, unfortunately that good news is not going to be helpful for them in the near term. Uh, it's more of the long view. So, yeah, it kind of comes down to that uh, – It's that uh, uh, the same rule we talk about every year, uh, 
of all your farmers out there, 20%, uh, or excuse me, your bottom 20% are going to struggle. Your top 20% are going to do very well, and there's going to be a whole lot of people in between. And right now, that bottom 20% is really feeling it, and uh, they're going to need something more than just a uh, something happening in the next five years. They need something to happen right now, and unfortunately, we don't see that uh, that relief coming in, in the in the uh, form of higher commodity prices. So, in the next five years, what what could the what could what could that look like? I mean, three to five years. I know you guys put a report out that kind of outlines what the next three years are going to yeah. look like, and and I'm getting ready to to read that report. Um, what what is that? What does the next three to five years look like for the American farmer and rancher? Well, we the to boil that down, we uh, we put it in two words: cautiously optimistic. So it's it's driven by in rising global demand. And that is clearly the positive here. And um, that what that does is create opportunities for market recoveries if, in fact, we see uh, some sort of weather-driven event. So if you start looking at, if you look at uh, net farm income this year, for instance, uh, USDA is project- projecting a bounce uh, in net farm income. Most of that's coming from the livestock sector. Well, no surprise there because global uh, consumption for excuse me, proteins continues to rise. So in the next three years, that's the bright spot. We continue to, we'll probably continue to see uh, sustained growth in that area of the economy. It's going to be livestock, it sounds like, that uh, where the strength is. Now for your corn and soybean growers or your wheat growers, uh, we, we're still going to have to contend with what's going on in South America and Russia. And if you look at history, their yields this past year, especially over in Russia, have been phenomenal. They're not going to do that two years in a row. Russia will have lower wheat yields this past year, and right now you've got some dryness going on in parts of that country. Uh, down in South America, we've got La Nina coming on. Uh, it's in full effect. We're probably going to see some dryness in Argentina and Brazil. So we are going to see yields probably drop there as well. So. 2018 looks like a year where we will see a tightening of the balance sheet and more upside potential on commodity prices. Now, are we going to $7 corn? Absolutely not. Uh, That's going to take a major, major uh, catastrophe of epic proportions in order to make that happen. Uh, But I would say the upside is there. And for the majority of of farmers out there that are are just uh, stressed moderately, uh, financially, this is going to be welcome news, uh, and that's going to help lift net farm income. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be the 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 price correction that we need to pick up those bottom twenty percent of the farmers. Those guys right now that have got another year ahead to ahead of them before they have to make a decision of whether uh, they have to declare bankruptcy or they just say I'm out and I'm going to rent my land out. Unfortunately, I don't think uh, this will be the correction that they need. But for everybody else in that upper two-thirds of uh, performers out there, I think this is going to be a positive story unfolding. Again, I want to stress it's not going to be a major uh, major shift in commodity prices. We're not going to 5 or $6 corn, but we're going to see some strength there, and that's going to be welcome news for those guys. So with all that being said, how do I position myself as a uh, equipment solutions provider? Right. How do it's a pretty fancy word there? How do I uh, how do I position <laughs> myself for this 
the next upswing. You know, that's what we're always looking at is when, yeah. when's it coming and how are we going to be ready? You know, our customers, we know we need to know when our customers are going to trade, why they're going to trade and when they're going to trade and what they're going to trade. So we know that the, all the moving parts are in place there when they, they get ready to come. So I guess the question I'm asking you here is when should I be ready in, you know, is it 2019? Is it 2020 to start saying like, okay, this is the, the glut of this, um, you know, world supply of, of grain is, is finally going to, you know, the supply and the demand curve are going to, are going to cross each other sometime. And, and when in your best estimation, do you feel like that's going to yeah. be? Well, it's very gradual. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I would say the tightening of the balance sheets, uh, we're seeing that now. And again, it's not, it's not going to be a fast or immediate correction, but it's going to be gradual if we don't have a major weather event. So over the next three years, um, I would say would be the wisest way for me to say that. Um, next year is going to be less bad, I think. But that's not taking into account uh, the producers that have already uh, run out of cash. Uh, for those people, unfortunately, uh, you know the, the the gradual turn that we're seeing in the tightening of the world grain balance sheets isn't going to be good enough news for them. For everybody else, though, I would say. You know, you're going to have some of your producers out there that are be look. They're going to be looking to replace their machinery line because they've been holding on to old uh, tractors and sprayers and combines for the past three or four or five years. And when given the opportunity, even with a minor recovery in uh, their income, they're going to be looking to replace it. Uh, they're going to be they're going to be uh, uh, having they'll have had enough headaches with machinery that uh, they've been having to fix repeatedly on the farm. So uh, I can't say that we're going to see a, a, uh, a sharp turnaround, but I do, I think, and from what I've heard out there from other economists and other market forecasters, more, excuse me, forecasters, we are seeing a gradual turn upward, or it will be a gradual turn upward. The next three years are going to be very critical. And, uh, uh, if you're a farmer who has still got some cash in the bank, you're going to be okay. And if you can get some off-farm income especially, those people are going to be okay. Uh, it's that bottom 20% or that bottom third I'm concerned about. And so if you're a machinery dealer or an ag retailer or anybody else um, that is uh, that sells to farmers, I mean, that's I'd say that's where you got to keep your eyes is who who among your customers is in that bottom third of performers and uh, be careful about, you know, where they're at. So I'd love to say that, hey, it's going to happen next year, but I'd say over the next three years is my feeling is where we, where we see some cautious optimism in uh, perhaps or in a gradual recovery in, uh, in the farm economy. It's kind of what I'm seeing, in my opinion, just looking at the equipment marketplace and what's out there, that we've still got about three years to go before we're really out of the woods and, and things are – enough enough supply has been taken out as far, on the used equipment side to replace uh what's coming in and mm-hmm. for the demand and it, we're seeing that now so hopefully right the next two three years we we can kind of get this thing rolling again and but hey i'm jack tanner because you told me in three years seven dollar corn's coming back so it's, it's great. <laughs> um i'm kidding yeah. <laughs> hey I, I if it happens i'll i'll take it 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd say it's a little on the optimistic, uh, up, up, a little too optimistic. So. Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. All right, so last question here, and then we'll get it wrapped up. When you're looking at what's going on out there right now, what trends are, are you do I need to pay attention to and, and what trends are going to start kind of be leading indicators into, into either positive or negative growth? Uh, I'd say, uh, well, again, the chart uh, that I uh, reference quite a bit is the debt-to-income chart. Uh, that's a leading indicator of the entire ag economy. Uh, if you want to break it down further, I would say look at a lot of the data from the Federal Reserve Banks, uh, like the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City, uh, the, the Chicago Fed and the St. Louis Fed. Those regional uh, Fed banks are going to have a lot of uh, very useful information about where uh, community bankers um, in their surveys, uh, where, what they say is happening locally in their, uh, in their districts. That's very useful information. And right now, uh, you know, the indicators of that, we're, we're, continue, we're probably going to see some continual softening in the ag economy. Um, and I'd say if you really want to get big picture, Casey, uh, one of my favorite charts is looking at the, the price history of uh, corn and wheat going back to 1880, or excuse me, 1866. It's one of the oldest data sets that we have in the entire uh, U.S. And you can identify five clear trends, or excuse me, cycles uh, in commodity markets. And we, it appears as though we have just completed the last cycle, and we are now ready to reset into the new cycle, which means another move higher very gradually in commodity prices before we see the next uh, spike. Who knows whenever that's going to be, but uh, it appears as though we have cycled out and we've got uh, more likely upside uh, in front of, or excuse me, more upside in front of us uh, for commodity markets. Well, well, Tanner, thanks for being on the podcast. And and before we go, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to throw out there to to the people listening um enjoy your podcast casey it's <laughs> i'd say for everybody else out there um uh, i don't know it's it, it's very regional uh it's not nationwide it's very regional so uh always pay attention to uh, what's going on in your local area or your state that's going to give you a better reading than what's going on uh outside of your area because it I can, things can get pretty muddied when you throw all the, the entire ag economy into one basket and try to measure that. The better story is told regionally. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Tanner for being a guest on this episode. Remember, if you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website, movingironllc.com. Here you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can review and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and if you like to shop amazon please use the amazon click through on the moving iron llc website you have the same experience that you're accustomed to but you also support the podcast you can find this podcast on itunes google play stitcher radio TuneIn radio and soundcloud so until next time let's go move some iron this is casey seymour out